0: This is the Pod Charles Cinecast recorded by the presented by the Prince Charles Cinema. And this is your host, Jonathan Foster, joined by his co-host, Philippe uh, Freitas. And Never
1: comment, no, Philippe. today
0: our uh, guest is Jamie Brook. Brooker. Brooker. <laughs> and he's a projectionist. There you go. All right. Bye. <laughs>
2: That was almost as good as one of the foyer announcements, not it?
3: Nice. <laughs> Welcome to the Pod, Charles <laughs> Cinecast, presented by the Prince Charles Cinema. This is your host, Jonathan Foster. I'm here today again with—we've cleared it last week. It's my adopted uh, stepson, whatever it is. Uh, it is Phil.
0: Phil found on the church step, adopted stepson Phil. <laughs> How
3: are you doing this week, <laughs> Phil?
0: I'm, I'm all right. I'm hanging in there. I'm, you know, trying to, you know, just that. <laughs> just you, keep on keeping on.
3: Have you managed to get yourself out of that ball yet?
0: Uh, Yeah. Now I'm in like a, you know, the it position yeah. day. Still slightly, you know, Standing so
3: Still slightly itself. fetal.
0: Yeah, slightly fetal. But, you know, <laughs> we were just talking about it. I exercised today. I went for a jog. And yeah. Hopefully, i can keep that up and incorporate into my routine of you know like sleeping and self loading mm-hmm. and it will coalesce and i'll you know get out of quarantine a better man
3: cool and our other guests <laughs> they are special guests today we'll get back to uh our workout in quarantine uh because uh, our other guests mentioned something as well <laughs> yeah. uh this is uh returning to the podcast it's uh Projectionist Jamie Brooker Welcome back Jamie
2: Hiya (laughs) Hi Oh I'm so excited To be back He's been castrated Since um, The last episode (laughs) But you know um, Why not Uh, It's not like They're particularly useful At this point (laughs) I mean Not with those Not with those
0: I mean they're
3: you guys do realize I'm going to have to like cut all this.
0: Out. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I don't know how
2: we get, this is how we get that female audience back. Just. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how much professionalism you're expecting while off the clock. Yeah. I mean, true. You know, true. I mean, true. this is, this, it's got to be stressed really. That This is not, you know, work time. So, you know, oh. this is a, this is more of a pleasure podcast. Yeah. And well, we're here to pleasure ourselves. And if the audience doesn't like it,
3: <laughs> okay well i've got some i've got some <laughs> stuff that's going to be enter- entertaining later so <laughs> it's a little bit
2: okay you're know, you telling us anyway. we should hold back on being entertaining the- fair enough yeah yeah that's how you get the <laughs> women yeah. back right we gotta it's get the-
3: to know them first yeah, you know
2: right. yeah i was yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah well we work, we we always work blue this is like pod chart in the car <laughs> after dark you know post <laughs> watershed but it's like two What, and
1: what is time? Yeah. Who is
2: even time? <laughs> time <laughs> I mean, at the pre lockdown, yeah. maybe, but you know. Yeah.
3: This is like Ariane's conversation. What is time? Time is just a construct. <laughs> uh, hey, Ariane. She's not here today. She's very busy, but she did want to join you, Jamie, because uh, Ariane and myself did a podcast with Jamie back in October 2019. It was episode 24. You want to go back? We were talking about the Lost Boys, Jennifer's body in The Shining, and Jamie snuck his way in and gave us a nice little projection uh, rundown, and uh, it was very, very fun, and a lot of people who listen to this podcast seem to really like that episode, so
2: today we're That's doing a, a really, really,
3: really, fun episode. It's an Ask Me Anything-styled thing, I never,
2: I never, I never agreed to that. You never agreed to <laughs> that. <laughs> I never agreed to that.
3: But, Phil, you're exercising. Jamie, you mentioned something earlier that you've actually managed to lose weight in this quarantine. Um, oh, yeah,
2: but that wasn't serious. That I wasn't was serious? serious. <laughs> nah, I thought you were serious. It's so fat, it's unreal. <laughs> 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 and It's like you know, if a tree loses a leaf, does it really make a difference? <laughs> I'm like, I'm sneaking up on myself all around the place. It's kind of like, what is that? Oh, it's me. I'm
0: like, whoa. <laughs> you know, I mean, because you're stuck inside, you realise how much space one can occupy.
2: Yeah, it's like I'm just filling it up, like. A <laughs> but I mean, to be fair, I am getting out. I've got dogs, so you know, you might yeah. hear the dogs running away, yeah. and they really need to be walked once a day, otherwise they go a little bit mental. Mm-hmm. So that's that's you know that's keeping me in touch with the outside world a little bit. Yeah, which is you know great. Gas masks and everything. <laughs> really, that's just fashion statement. Uh, but. Of course, yeah. I just do a scarf. For
3: the listeners out there, what kind of dogs do you have? What kind of dogs are you rocking?
2: Right. We, we're rocking a, a pug, which you may have seen already, mm. and a French <laughs> Mastiff, Nuts. which people would recognize from Turner and Hooch, right?
3: Yeah. yeah. Dog <laughs> film number three on my list.
2: <laughs> it, it's an outstanding one in my dog heart. film, though. And in fairness, I will defend the breed. They're not as slobbery as they're made out to be in the film, right? Yeah. I mean, they are a little bit slobbery. That's, that's a horrible stereotype, and we're putting into so, it right now. It's absolutely dog cyst, It shouldn't be committed, <laughs> and we shouldn't perpetuate it.
3: Is that the same dog in The Sandlot? Have you guys seen The Sandlot? The same kind of dog? Yeah. I believe uh, it is.
0: I'm going to Google it real quick. Sandlot's a
3: good film. Uh, another good Plastic. film. Shout out for a good dog in a film, Sandlot. Um. <laughs> oh, well, it's a big slobbery bastard. That's what it is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what have you been doing, Jonathan? Have you been doing exercise? I saw I have. a picture of you looking sweaty.
3: Yeah, I have. <laughs> I've been on this. Uh...
2: Watching cops. Car- <laughs> Why are you so sweaty? As as
3: I, bed, <laughs> I was watching cops. <laughs> <laughs> really good Step Brothers
0: reference yeah. there. Shout out, Step Brothers. <laughs> yeah, I love that film.
3: Yeah, I've I've been doing a lot of like workout videos. I have not been leaving the house too much, and if I have, I've been going like on like later night walks. So I've not been doing my insane walks like I normally do. But uh no, I I've been doing videos on uh YouTube. It's been hilarious with Julia, um Fitness Blender. Real good stuff. And we did one yesterday that was like 57 minutes long. All cardio. Really intense, very few breaks in between, um, and I was very
2: sweaty. <laughs> nice. And I
3: like taking photos of myself sweaty now and showing it on uh, Twitter because I have no shame.
2: <laughs> and they're great photos. I mean, they've yeah. got a collection there. They're going to come in useful. Yeah, <laughs> right after this. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I got to give something for Jamie. I haven't seen him in so long. You know, exactly.
0: <laughs> he wants the Aquaman pick, You know. Yeah.
3: See, that's my that's my goal, man. I'm like working out so I can get swole.
2: Getting swole. <laughs> so you can come out of lockdown in a, like a gold bikini and be on a Friday.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm gonna start doing videos where I'm challenging Jason Momoa to uh to work out. Call him out. Call him, him out. out. Like <laughs> make fun of his dad bod. Do you remember that? Like when Jason Momoa was getting shit for having yeah. a dad bod? I so, remember yeah, that yeah. I might start doing that and just be like where yeah. you at Jason where you at
0: <laughs> yeah now's the safest time to do it you can't <laughs> he can't. can't
3: he can't come yeah, get
0: me <laughs> exactly he can't come get you uh, when this is all over though, it's the first thing you're going to do you're going to hop on a plane dab a trident <laughs> through the door <laughs> I'm going to end you yeah
3: oh uh, man well film it a little bit of uh, what's going on at the Prince Charles Cinema <laughs>
0: still closed <laughs> yeah we are still closed <laughs> the doors are
3: still boarded up but yeah we got a new facebook group over on our facebook page a new group you can join if you have facebook and you do that thing. <laughs> yeah it's a real good group a lot of people are really uh you know interacting and that's been real fun it's been nice to see this sort of community form for the cinema which has been really sweet uh we've been doing some other fun things like some nice little games and stuff via our email. So join our email if you can. Go to PrinceRelCinal.com. You'll see uh join the mailing list button on the front page. But we've been doing things like have you guys seen the recreate the frame? Did you guys see that? Oh, yeah, yeah I, that saw was that. Fun.
2: yeah. I thought it looked enigmatic. <laughs> <laughs> i very I'm very impressed.
3: Yeah. So yeah, we're doing this thing called Recreate the Frame, where if you want to win one month. Of free cinema trips once we reopen, like who, would, who wouldn't <laughs> want to do that?
2: It was, I mean, Sophia's recreate the frame was magnificent. Yeah, yeah I was with I was the really dog. Impressed. Yeah, yeah when was she great.
3: when she posted it, it was uh it was kind of daunting um because I hadn't done mine
2: yet. <laughs> Yours looked was really good though. Uh, the thing is, I don't understand how how did the dog get Sophia to sit still for long enough to take <laughs> the picture, right? I'm like, what?
0: He just put it on a timer it? and like did loads That's a very good boy. Yeah. <laughs> the good at the point.
3: So basically what we're talking about is this thing called recreate the frame. It's like where you pick a shot from a film, your favorite shot, a shot you admire, whatever it is, uh, and then recreate it to the best of your abilities at home. Uh take the photo and then you email us at hello at princecharlescinema.com. <laughs> and uh be sure you include the original frame as well if we pick you as the winner then uh hey you might win one month of free trips to the cinema and you can also bring a plus one which is pretty sick yeah get to submitting get crafty see what you got see if you can do something cooler than um myself and Sophia, and uh which we're not in competition though so it doesn't matter (laughs) <laughs> but yeah any listeners yeah, out there it. if you want to do it go ahead it'll be really fun uh, to see what you got
2: I mean that should also be the way that they open up future job applications by recreate the frame as well <laughs> yeah. that all applicants have to send a frame in that they've recreated at home that's way so they you know so if you want to work for the Prince Charles get them in early <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey guys, it's Frank, aka the Quizmaster from the Filmageddon Film Quiz, one of the biggest and best film quizzes around. We're just hijacking the airwaves here on the Pod Charles Cinecast for a second to remind everyone that we're going to be doing our first ever live stream film quiz April 15th at 7 p.m. BST. Now get your friends together on your video messaging platform of choice and join us over at youtube.com forward slash Filmageddon for what will be an epic night of film trivia. We'll see you there.
3: All right, let's get into this Ask Me Anything. Uh, Reddit is uh, full, of, full of Ask Me Anythings, and I feel like Jamie is the human form of Reddit. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs>
2: Whoa. <laughs> I didn't expect it to be so burning in here. Yeah. <laughs> Getting <laughs> on <I'll> just, here. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jamie. Let me just get the aloe vera ready because <laughs> so obviously I'm going to need it. Burn.
3: Yeah, burn, Jamie, burn, uh, burn. this is a roast. I'm sorry. Um, you thought you were coming on for an ask me anything. The, roast, the roast of Jamie Brooker. <laughs> no, uh, but Jamie exactly. is a longtime projectionist at the cinema. He's been projecting for many years. Back in our episode 24, when we had Jamie on, we did have a really nice conversation with him. But we might touch on a few things that Jamie talked about. Uh, Jamie, uh, good how's good. it going? How how yeah, how, how are you doing? Uh, how are you doing in this quarantine though?
2: I have a really done? nice, to be fair. I mean, <laughs> you know, I I come, I get, you know, I take the dogs out. I come home. I put some films on. It's like being at work really. <laughs> Just yeah. slightly less them up, you know, yeah, you know, so yeah, I mean no, i'm I'm doing all right, considering we're into week three now, it's yes. all right, um, um, <laughs> excuse Aww. me, excuse me for <laughs> a
1: moment.
0: <laughs> oh that's adorable
3: I thought that was boy for a second I was yeah. like damn Philip. boy doesn't bark like
0: that He'd fucking trained he has some
2: goddamn respect for the podcast <laughs> but yes yeah, so I know so I'm good man I'm good it's, it's been going alright you know nice. I mean obviously we were all uh we are all enjoying a constant backdrop of anxiety and tension and paranoia and fear and anguish and depression and despair but I'm good you know? <laughs> Yeah, but what else did you? You know, yeah. that's- I mean, that's you know, that's just the backbeat of living in London, right? Exactly. Yeah. Also, it's as long as work. you're just
3: being honest, I mean, you know, it's good. We should be honest. We're uh, we feeling that way.
2: I mean, it's certainly it's it's a very unique time to be alive. Man. Yeah. Um, so you know, yeah, it's it's weird. It's very weird, and I am weirdly missing being at work. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's like that's probably the first job I've enjoyed other projection jobs, but it's probably the first one where I've genuinely missed just going in and hanging out with the guys that work there and doing what we do because, you know, I worked on the last night that we had, um, the last night of actual business. Yeah. And it was really surreal. I was in all day and it was kind of like going ahead and getting everything ready for the next week because usually for, for projection, The start of the working week, Monday, Tuesday, is when you prep everything for the following week's programme. And so, you know, I was doing all of that with this constant not being sure whether or not we were even going to be open again the next day. And as it turns out, we weren't. Yeah, yeah. And which, in some (laughs) respects, was a great relief because especially the front of house staff were getting very concerned at that point about everything that was happening. But it was strange. Um, and it was kind of like I uh, caught all of you guys talking about the kind of how emotional it was to be in that situation. And it was emotional now, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like, uh, you know, as well as appreciating all the praise, seeing how much the audience connects with the emotional side of what it is that people are doing as well, because it's weird and it films. People are passionate about it. And so showing a couple of films on the last day of open business was kind of like... Um, a double edge of emotion, if you want, because you've got the emotion from The Godfather and Sympathy <laughs> for Mr. Vengeance yeah. <laughs> <laughs> combined with everything that's going on around you in reality, and it's all kind of a little bit like, whoa, you know, that's that's a heady mix, that is, and really strange. Yeah. But, you know, go on. Well... I'm just going to talk shit, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, just wind me up and let me go. I need structure, Jonathan. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Miss Uh, miss bossy pants. Get your bossy (laughs) pants on.
3: I was going to ask if you could just go back a little bit to when you got into doing projection and about how long you've been doing it before we really get into some of these customer questions. Uh, Well,
2: I started in Wolverhampton. Um, I started working for a multiplex. Then I went to a two-screen art house cinema and I worked at both for a while. In total, in Wolverhampton, I worked for about 15 years doing projection. I dropped the multiplex after a while. And, uh, yeah, then after that, the uh, industry started to shut down a little bit because we moved into the age of digital.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And I, I moved out into doing conferencing and technical support for a while. And then when I moved back to London, about six months later, I saw the vacancy for the Prince Charles going, And here I am sort of thing, which was uh, incredibly fortuitous. Yeah
0: the place has never
2: been the same. And I mean that, I mean
0: that in a bad way.
2: <laughs> I, I, I aim to ruin. But I mean, it's incredibly fortuitous for me because there aren't many places where you can put your experience of working with 35mm to, to practice, you know, because there are so few places that run real film these days. Yeah. And it can be really hard to get those positions because, you know, it's like if you've got the experience, great. Um, but if you haven't, and it's a tough one to get so yeah, it was lucky.
3: Well, I got questions basically from emails, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. They're all from all over the place, and plus I've peppered in a few questions from myself to just oh. fill out a little bit. We'll see where we get
2: a few to. Sexy
3: questions. Mm, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so first I'll just go. I'll start with the emails. We got one email in from someone that says, "Hey, John and Jamie, I have a question for your projectionist, Jamie Brooker. Uh, what qualifications?" What I have to gain in order to start professional projecting films. Uh, Kindest regards Declan Bracewell.
2: You know, what? it's uh, like I just said, really, it can be a really tricky one because in terms of professional qualifications, there aren't any because it's pretty much an experience based sort of um, profession. Mm -hmm. Um, You would need to be, I mean, these days as well, most places that run 35 now are going to be running digital as well. So I'll talk to you as if this was for our, um, for our cinema, which we do both in equal amounts. So, you know, I mean, you'd need to have a general good technical aptitude. Um, you need to be computer literate. If you can't use a computer, there's not really much point trying to do the job. Because um, <laughs> you're going to be doing, you're going to be doing computer stuff. I mean, it's simple computer stuff. But nonetheless, you're still going to need to be able to know how to do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. A good aptitude for working with machinery and mechanics, because, I mean, all the cinema projector really is, is a big piece of machinery mm-hmm. that's running that's running polyester through it at high speeds. Um, and so, you know, if you had those kind of um, skills, that was in your skill set and the ability to remain calm during, you know, possibly anxious situations like things going wrong Um, or even just high-stress situations, you know, it can be surprisingly unnerving having 300 people waiting to watch a film (laughs) and you've got to to go and actually start it and make a good job of it. And that, you know, I mean, silly as it sounds, you can get quite sort of like, you know, if you're feeling a little bit nervous about that, it can be um, to your detriment. So nerves of steel and a good technical attitude is my answer.
0: Did that still affect you now, Jamie? Like, if we got like a sold out, I mean, it, mil- ca- it can,
2: it can, um, especially if you perhaps know that there are risks with if you're running a really old print or something, and you know that it it could be ropey or it could be touch and go because prints break things go wrong, um, The sound can go wrong, all sorts of things that can happen. That yeah, you will get sometimes you'll be a little bit like, I mean, in theory, it makes no difference if you've got one person sitting there watching <laughs> it or 300, right?
0: Yeah. You're
2: putting the same amount of care and attention in, but you're going to feel a hell of a lot more nervous about ruining a film experience for 300 people <laughs> you know, yeah, rather definitely. than just the one of them. It's like, so yeah, it can be, it can be. I've got a couple of questions that are sort
3: of, basically kind of similar, you know, you would, you would assume with this sort of thing where we're asking people to ask you questions, a lot of similar questions might come out. So Nil on Instagram said, how did you learn to project films professionally? And Jake Beck says, where would, might one learn the ancient art of projecting? Kind of the same question.
2: Yeah, tough call again. Um, I mean, as I started, I applied to a local multiplex before it was even built. They were doing an employment recruitment drive in my area. I mean, this is going back to when I was about 22, 23. And I learned on the job, pure and simple, because most of us, we started as multifunctional staff and we quickly realized that the really cool place to be was upstairs in the projection room. And it was one of those things you think about as a kid, oh, that must be great to be the guy up in the, in the little room behind running the show. You know, whipping the mice, getting them to do their thing. Because <laughs> uh, everything is mouse powered, obviously. Obviously. Um, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. So, I mean, there is, I don't know if there's anything that exists where there's any other way other than getting on the job practice and experience. Yeah. Um, depending, again, on your own skill set and your own attributes, you either pick it up really fast or you pick it up really slow. I was really lucky I picked it up really fast. Mm-hmm. I worked in a cinema which had 14 film projectors running film all day long. So you got to practice very much on every shift. You were just in there and you're doing it over and over and over again to get the basics down. And then there is a degree of things that you do in process of the job, like making films up or making them up into bigger reels or into big spools to run that you kind of learn along the way as well. So, yeah, if I could say I'll come to my film school and I'll teach you how to be a projectionist, I would. Watch this space, you never know. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, yeah, at the moment it would be a case of finding a cinema that runs film and begging them to give you a job.
3: Yeah, which is really hard and it's few and far between, you know, finding those well, opportunities. It is, man. Yeah. It, it is unfortun-
2: really hard these days.
0: It's unfortunate that's so rare. Like, even mm-hmm. the film school I went to, a big part of me tuning it was because it was one of the few left in the country that let you Handle, operate, play with actual film. So we got to make a few things on 8mm and 16mm. So, yeah, I can imagine it'd be
2: harder to I mean, find in cinema. If you can get your hands on an old 8mm or 16mm projector and some film to play with, it's the kind of thing to a degree you can learn through trial and error and a few, you know, a little bit of searching for some guides on how you do that stuff. Most 16mm projectors come with a basic instruction manual. Mm -hmm. which you're not usually lucky enough to get with a 35mm projector, you know. But the principles remain roughly the same between all sorts of machines. They might look different, um, but they all run and operate on the same kind of principles. So once you Mm -hmm. sort of get it down with one, it gives you a head start for learning the next type of machine that you come to. That generally tends to be what happens to people in the industry, really, I think. You know, we all start learning with one specific type of projector and machine. With its own foibles and its own way of doing things, and then you move on to another job and you learn another and then you learn another. And if you're lucky, I mean, like the Prince Charles has two different types of 35mm projector, you know, so you can learn two different types of systems at once. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, with the multiplex, you have 14, did you say, projected? 14, all identical, you know. Mm-hmm. So, okay, yeah. It's, it's an intensive sort of like, you know, you learn it, but you're learning a very narrow sort of version of it as well. Yeah. But it, it's, a, it's a really great foundation. I mean, to my knowledge, there are no multiplexes that still run real film, or at least not on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, which is a shame, really, because, you know, that was quite something back when I started, when all cinemas were still running real film. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, that could be, like, huge. We'd have, like, Titanic on five screens. So, you know, <laughs> five five prints, just all these Gigantic thousands prints. of feet yeah. of Ticant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so that's uh, that's it, really. I mean, beyond trying to find somewhere that will teach you or give you a job to learn it, I don't know if there is anywhere. If somebody does know, it could be that Dolby Laboratories have a studio that you can go and learn at. Um, let us know. Cause I mean, that would be, I'd really, I'd really love to go and have a look, but you know, I don't think there are any, um, teaching opportunities available.
3: Do you think with like the advancements in technology and stuff like things like YouTube and, and social media in general, like, is there any room, although people won't really get the hands on, but to see how (laughs) things are done, like if places were to do tutorials and stuff.
2: I've seen some videos. I've watched some interesting stuff um, that people have just done, just for the passion of showing off what they do. You know, yeah. Um, so without a doubt, there's a room there perhaps uh, to do something like that. Um, uh, there, there are some projectionists with channels where they show stuff that they're doing, and that can actually be, you know, really interesting to go and take a look at.
3: Mm-hmm. Again, that, I guess that's just time as well, and you know, you know, it's like unless if there's room, I guess, for people to pay someone to do that, Um, unless they have the equipment and it's easy for them to just kind of take it upon themselves to just do that. (laughs) It's like, it's kind of hard. Yeah. 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 Uh, so Jamie, what inspired you to become a projectionist? Was it like the interest in the technical side of things or was it the love of film or both?
2: Money mostly. (laughs) Um, Fair enough. I mean, no, I mean I was always <laughs> I was always drawn towards i mean I think everybody to a degree who works in the industry has a love of film in one way or another. they might not love all film I certainly don't. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> we know, you know it. I mean? you've, you've, got to, you've got to have an appreciation for that magic of sitting down in a cinema and watching a film because it is like nothing else. You can enjoy films at home for sure. And I do. I'm a big fan of watching films at home, even though my profession is to do it. To put things on for people in a public space, mm-hmm. but it's a completely different experience. You've got that whole shared experience of sitting in a room with other people to watch something. Mm-hmm. And I think if you if if you've got that, then that's a really big motivator towards wanting to do the technical side of it. I've always been a reasonably technical person. I've always liked pushing buttons and flashing lights and stuff like that. I've got a reasonable mechanical aptitude, so it was kind of like a no-brainer, really. The first time I went to work at the cinema, when I applied before they'd even opened, and we helped set the multiplex up, um, that was motivated purely by money. That's, but, um, you know, it was kind of like, you know, I'm starving to death, I need a job. Ooh, cinema, That that might be cool, you know. Yeah. And then once you sort of get a little bit of an insight into how it all works, it was actually like a real draw. It was like, oh, yeah, let's, let's do that. That looks like great fun. And it was, you know, um, mm-hmm. even though it was quite a stressy kind of job uh, compared to what we do these days, which is a little more relaxed. Um, it was, It was, you know, it was a motivation. And you get that kick out of being able to deliver something for people, you know to be at the end of that chain where you put stuff on and the you know if you do a good job, people shouldn't even know you're there. But at the same time, that's great because you sit back and you can be like, well, they had the best show we could possibly give them, you know? Yeah. Which is when you're dealing with old films as well, that can be very satisfying. There mm-hmm. are incidents or occasions where a projectionist might have spent a whole afternoon putting a film together because he was in such bad condition and they did a great job of it, and then you run it, and it runs really well, and you can be, like, great, you know?
3: Uh, Jamie, uh, RB asks, what's more important, girth or length, when it comes to beards?
0: I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, of course, I mean, beard. We're talking about beards, beards and nothing else.
2: Beard. I, mean, I mean, girth's really important, but you've got to have a bit of length. Yeah. So it's, like, really, I mean, it's the ratio between the two that's important.
3: Jamie, your beard um, is looking good right now in quarantine. It's very so good, know. yeah.
2: I am, I am. You know, I'm enjoying, you know, having something to catch the disease with as a <laughs> about. You know, it's like get the virions in.
0: Um, I mean, this could be a podcast in itself for three bearded men talking about yeah. Yeah. The I trimmed
3: yeah. my beard the other day because uh, it mm. was getting too crazy. Um, but you know, we're gonna keep it going. We're gonna get more Momoa coming. And I, <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I took my chops down a little bit, you know, because I thought, well, if I need to put a mask on in a hurry, this isn't going to work. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but then but then you can stuff the beard in the rest of the mask sort of thing and create yourself yeah. an extra buffer, I, I reckon.
0: Right.
2: So, you know, but I mean, yeah, without a doubt, the ratio of length to girth is what matters. You can't <laughs> separate the two. There's no, there's no point having an excess of one. <laughs>
3: Uh, Juna, Junad Mia on Instagram asks, can I ever spend just a day or day and a half with you after COVID 19? Like work experience. <laughs> work experience, work experience. Oh, okay. Are,
2: are you hot? Um, <laughs> I mean, the one thing I will say, a day or a day and a half might be a big ask because generally speaking, we're quite busy and that can be a lot to sort of like say that you can afford to spend with somebody. However, yeah. We're very open to showing people around. Um, you know, if you drop us an email and let us know a day when perhaps you're coming to see a film, if we can get the time to actually give you the tour, show you around and let you know how things work a little bit, virtually every one of us who works there are all very happy to do that. So that's, you know, send an email in, um, and, you know, let us know you're coming. You can ask on the fly if you want, but you run the risk of it being a bad time. Um, you know, because uh, we have done that in the past we've had to turn people away who've wanted to come up and have a look. Yeah. Um, but as a rule, if we can get you in, we will get you in and show you around if you're interested.
3: Yeah, it's just very busy.
2: Okay, but like not
0: at the Prince Charles, like, what do we have to do to spend a day or a day and a half with just Jamie <laughs> out and about in the world? Do we have to like do I mean, like an yeah, auction on something? If you, uh, if you
2: want to spend the day with just me, then I'll send you my email. And we can <laughs> I mean, obedience is really the chief thing that you need to be looking <laughs> there. If you're a very obedient person and you don't talk much, and what are you looking like at the a dog. Mask you know the mask aspect it's a good time of year for mask modeling um but i mean i have a selection that you can try if you want but yeah no just come up and see us sometime
3: Uh <laughs> right, lynn Bappen asks have you ever sliced anything other than pornography into a film i have no idea what kind of projectionist lynn Bappen thinks you are but um oh like a,
2: sneaking in frame have you ever snuck you anything mean? in other than pornography right. Other than Tyler Durden's big fat dick, <laughs> um, no, uh, would be the absolute honest straight-up answer. Um, it's fun sometimes you find. I mean, this is this is like part of the fun of working at the Prince Charles. We've got all sorts of weird things hiding around in boxes and cans. Um, I don't think there's anybody who currently works there who knows what everything is that's stored around the building. Uh, I found some cans a while ago that had some really old-fashioned no smoking, uh, a little no smoking announcement, you know. And it's like it's fun. It's fun to drop something like that on a reel of film or something at the start to have go on. But I mean, we've not. To be honest, I do. If I remember right, it's actually against the law to place subliminal hits in films. So splicing in frames is quite naughty.
1: Yeah, um, it could
2: be. There's conditions on that because they um, they forbid it in the running of adverts. You're not allowed exactly. to have subliminal hits in your advertising and stuff like that. So it's quite dubious territory. That I think you can get into trouble to a degree.
3: In our cinema, like you can get in trouble just. I mean, obviously, for messing with the print, like we exactly. wouldn't do that. Like, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That's the thing. I mean, it's like we can certainly, like, say sometimes before a thirty-five mm we might put some trailers on. Yeah. Um, that's always like, it's like, yeah, if you want to like line a couple of 35 more trailers up and run those before the actual film. Mm. And Those kind of things can be fun to play with. And so public service announcements, that turn up. If anybody, you know, sometimes we do things for other people and they bring us stuff. They bring us trailers to show or old school adverts to show and that's quite good fun to do, but yeah we would always keep the print itself the idea in what we're doing is not to add anything or take anything away so you know you want to be able to present exactly what the director gave you to present
3: definitely well that's a good question though i mean it's i know it's coming from more of a hey i've sure i've seen this in films before it's kind of a funny idea but um it yeah, doesn't yeah. it doesn't happen i don't know if you've ever done it like in your past projection life you know but i i figure you're kind of if you're doing Absolutely something like that, you're not. just kind of like, well, I'm I'm ready to leave this job. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, this is that's the equivalent of like someone spitting in your burger at yeah. McDonald's, right?
2: Yeah, and I mean, as well, I mean, in the old days, the adverts used to run from 35 mil, and you'd get a new set of advert reels every week, and those would contain a lot of bits of film, shorter bits of film spliced together. So if anything like that was going to happen, it would have happened there, it would have happened in the ads sort of thing, where there's lots of splits and lots of breaks. Um, But I can't imagine anybody that I know would ever have done anything like that
3: uh jamie are there any particular memorable cinematic experiences you can remember influencing like any love for you for film like when you're Uh, younger anything that really ticks your boxes i mean
2: star wars was the first film i remember seeing at the cinema for sure um yeah i remember i must have been five or six years old and i remember being frightened (laughs) i didn't know you know i didn't know what i was looking at i was like is this a portal into another dimension is this, you know? <laughs> and again, I mean, that is, because yeah, it is a portal into another dimension quite literally, but I remember being really scared watching Star Wars because for that exact reason, I just hadn't got a clue what was going on. Um And that was probably for a lot of people my age, I mean, I'm in my 40s and a lot of us probably had that first Star Wars experience with one of the Star Wars films. Mm-hmm. um i remember going to see flash gordon as well and again being really sort of like you know yeah intoxicated by the experience and what that is to go and sit in a room full of people and make ooh and ah noise just fantastic <laughs> things going on you know so i mean for sure
3: nice that's cool uh cat m asks can you tell jamie to smile please miserable sod
2: ha <laughs> xx <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm not smiling for the rest of the day now. <laughs> just for that. Just you don't tell that. me what to do yeah, you know, smiles off my mm, <laughs> I'll get G- you for that
3: <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, what are the pros and cons of screening thirty five millimeter versus digital
2: oh, well, here we go. I mean, that's a good point of a uh, constant conversation and debate. We have this one at work quite a lot, right? Mm. Um, I mean, the pros are if you've got a beautiful 35 millimeter print that's in really good condition on really well maintained equipment, it will look and sound exceptional. Mm-hmm. And it's very similar to the, the debate on whether or not vinyl or digital is the way to go. You know, if you've got a good piece of vinyl on good equipment, it will sound amazing. And it's exactly the same for 35. If it's a good print and, you know, your lenses are in top nick and your lamps are in top nick, your screen is in top nick, then you can be absolutely bowled over by how great it looks. And that's happened to me at the Prince Charles many times because the con is if you've got a scratched and dirty print, then, you know, to a degree, you, you for me, there is a threshold that you pass where if it's really scratched and really dirty or if the colour is really faded, that it's kind of like, is this as good as whacking a digital copy on instead that looks really nice and sounds really nice, you know? Uh, I'm quite, as a lot of projectionists probably are, we're quite touchy. We probably get upset quite quickly by what's on the screen where a lot of people wouldn't even notice, you know? Yeah. So, even a small amount of dirt or scratches on a print can be quite upsetting. <laughs> and we'll be like, whoa. whoa, whoa. Um, you know, but to a degree, again, I mean, you get that whole full intensity of the photography, how it was meant to be delivered. Um, so, it's a kind of really funny one. I'm a big fan of showing film and showing real film, but it's so rare that we get the really exquisite condition stuff. And usually, I get quite excited whenever it does happen. In saying that, there are some older films where it doesn't really matter if it's a little bit beaten up. Warriors, you know, we show yeah. the only brilliant yeah. warriors that's in existence, at least on this side of the Atlantic. It, it's red. There's no colour in it whatsoever. It's scratched. It's dirty. It's missing chunks of, you know, it's been broken so many times over the year. But again, that's more about an experience than it is about, you know, a pure cinephile kind of, um you know high definition thing uh so i don't know you know uh there's a part of me which myself that i've put films on and i've thought to myself this is scratched beyond the point where i would want to watch it and that makes me feel bad for the audience because there's nothing we can do about scratch on a print you know unfortunately mm. we can we can do things about other issues but a scratched print is scratched forever, basically, and that yeah. can be really aggravating. Again, damage on soundtrack can be really, really frustrating because there's very little you can do to compensate for it if it's happened. Um And yeah, that's really frustrating when it does happen, you know, because you want people to be getting the best.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about those prints and stuff at times that might have knocked your socks off. Uh I mean... I can remember, and it's a shame that it wasn't really something that was open to the public for numerous screenings. But that once upon a time in Hollywood's screening with uh, Directors UK yeah. when Tarantino was in, that print was yeah.
2: unbelievable, unbelievable. That show print. I mean, it really is a shame that more people didn't get to experience that show print, and because we were promised we would get that show print back for some public screenings, and I am aware that that won't happen now. due to a mix-up somewhere with the people who own the prints. And it's a real shame because it would have been a beautiful print to show to people. I mean, yeah, I would have said, you know, if you want to come and see the difference between a digital presentation and an analog presentation, come and have a look at this print on screen. It was in such good condition. It was such a well-produced print from the lab. It looked and sounded magnificent. And I think a lot of people wouldn't have known they were watching a film print even just because, you know, usually the way you tell is from the degradation that's there. You know, that will be what tips you off. You'll be like, oh, a a fleck of dust on the print, you know, whereas digital is always perfect. Um, But you couldn't even see any imperfections on that. It was outstanding. I can think of some other prints that we've had. And actually some that we will be showing again, which is we've got all the Harry Potters on 35 mil, which was supposed to be the Harry Potter Marathon this weekend, I think. Yeah, I believe um, so. Or was it next or- weekend? I'm not sure. It was due yeah. in April, though. Yeah, like um, end of April. Could, yeah, it might have been the end of the month one as part of the Harry Potter Marathon. And they're pristine theatrical prints. They're in really great condition, so they would show off for you how good 35 mil can be. We've had some really odd random prints that have come in because they've been in storage for years and years and they turn up brand new or hardly ever run. Pocus, yeah. Pocus, there's one that we oh, show yeah. regularly yeah. now. Mint condition print, you know, and you put it on screen and it looks amazing. Um, Hellboy 2, the Golden <laughs> Army. Really? One, right? we, I got, we got sent that a couple of years ago for a show and I opened the boxes and it had never been run. And you know, oh, nice. and we threw that up on screen, and again, because it's quite a pretty film anyway, it just looked hey. amazing. And I stood there and I was like, "There's not, there's not a single flaw. There's not a fault." <laughs> you know, and that when you get to that level, you've got the definition and the clarity of picture that digital can't beat. Pros and cons. Pros and cons. <laughs>
3: You've touched on this a little bit, the digital side of things. How has that like altered your job in the past? I know I guess you get to run a lot of uh film at the Prince Charles Cinema, so you might not fill it as much anymore, but in the past how did that affect you?
2: I mean, it's a big difference. I mean, even for something as simple I mentioned adverts used to come on actual physical advert reels, you know. The fact we don't have to deal with that anymore is is brilliant because it would be a real pain having to change adverts for every single film throughout the week sort of thing and stuff like that, and then having to deal with fresh advert reels all the time. You'd also get degradation of the materials that you run a lot, like your adverts and your public se- um, public service announcements. Yeah. They degrade pretty quickly because they're running so intensely. So, you know, having all of that pristine and encapsulated in an easy-to-run system is really nice. And, of course, it means that you know, you can have a film on screen with very little effort, which is great, you know, because once it's on the server and it's ready to go, then brilliant, that can be running in the background while you're doing something more vital, like piecing together a vintage print. That really needs a bit of TLC. Yeah. So if anything, the advent of digital helps us give a better 35mm presentation, really, because it means you've got more time to focus on that side of things, you know? So it's it's like it's like any technology when used right, it's a real boom, you know.
0: That's really interesting. I don't, I never thought of it like that. Like one benefiting the other. It's, they're they're always, they're always pitted against each other.
2: I mean, yeah, you couldn't, to some degrees, we wouldn't be able to run a program as complex as we do for thirty-five mil if we didn't have the workhorse of the digital projector. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's still a little bit of work involved. You've still got to import your titles, you've still got to load your films, but it's not as time-consuming as it is working with the 35mm. Yeah, where, again, a 35mm th- a print can keep you busy for a couple of hours just getting it prepped and ready to run, you know, and that's if it's in good condition. If it's in poor condition, that prep time increases. And if yeah. you're up against the clock because you've got a rush to get the next film ready and the next film ready because all you're running is 35mm, we wouldn't be able to run a program anywhere near as rich as the one that we do, you know, Yeah. Um, because that time would just be consumed all the time, um, you know, or we'd be rushing to get things ready and not giving everything the care and the attention that it really deserves.
3: We've had some weeks like that, though, where it's been, I've seen you guys, because my office is right next to the projection office, and I talk to you guys if you're making up films sometimes, and I've seen you stressing out because some weeks we have had like, you know, I don't know, it'd be like Christmas time, and we're running... 35 millimeter for every screening yeah. of It's a Wonderful Life and then also some of the screenings of Muppets and all that and then the other films in the program happen to be like sing alongs or something like that. so you you kind of need to be there and on top of things and it's really like kind of chaotic I mean I guess the one good thing about Christmas time is that like the, the diversity of films drops off but sure. there's still just tons of stuff going on. There's still actually, loads of things yeah. that
2: demand your attention all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And again, we have other weeks or periods throughout the year where we could be running one, if not two different 35 mil films every night. Yeah. And it could be the only show they yeah. have. It could be, you know, it's a one show. Um, And then every night you've got a new one and that's a lot of work. And it's a lot of work allowed to get processed. And again, the other thing that digital is really fun for is that it allows us to put things on screen that we wouldn't have been able to have done in the old days, like director intros, yeah? When yeah. we've had been lucky enough to get people to record bits of video for us, we can put announcements out really easily if we want, you know, because it's quite easy to uh, get things DCP'd and on the screen. Yeah, so again, in the old days, you would have uh, you wouldn't have had that flexibility again, so yeah, I'm not against the existence of digital at all. Yeah, um, in fact, and if somebody would like to buy us some 4K projectors, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but That'd be very I, nice. uh, <laughs> all
3: right, cool. I'm gonna move over to Facebook questions. Uh, Patreon subscriber Malcolm, hey, Malcolm, uh, hey, Malcolm, Malcolm, he asked, <laughs> Is there any industri- uh, industrial injury unique to projectionists i was thinking about the high speed paper cut from the film reel or body parts getting caught in the projector
2: <laughs> i mean body parts, <laughs> yeah i mean were intentional yeah, or not intentional or not i mean the projectors <laughs> do vibrate in a particularly pleasant way um, <laughs> i know i've been up there doing my light cues <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, the nightmare scenario would be getting your hair caught in the projector, right? <laughs> one of those, one of those would scalp you pretty quickly, uh, and it was always a worry when training anybody with long hair. I had long hair when I first started working in projection, and it would always be a paranoia. You know, that if your hair dropped in that intermittent sprocket, you'd be bald pretty quick, and that's like horrific. Do uh. you get? um any Anybody who works at our place, any of the projectionists, has probably got a, uh, a, a patch of skin on their forefinger, which is rubbed completely smooth and fingerprintless from running film through it. Yeah. Because you physically run the film through your fingers to check it for physical imperfections when you're making it up. And that goes quite fast. And it's not an injury as such as just something, you know, that you get this regular sort of use, like when you play a guitar and your pads get, um, you know... Hard on the your fingers yeah. yeah it's a similar kind of thing usually on the thumb and forefinger for me it's on my right hand because of all the film running through it and i'm actually starting to get a little bit of feeling back because i haven't done it <laughs> for 3 weeks now you know <laughs> so i'm going to when we when we finally reopen it's going to be blister time again uh. um because that's people who first start doing it usually find yeah they can't go they can't do that part of the job as quickly because it hurts them yeah. Whereas over time, you build your calluses up, and uh, yeah. Um, other injuries, the I mean, the silly one, and it's not uncommon at all to find projectionists have had hernias, um, and that's <laughs> pure this and simple. Sense, yeah. And, yeah. And, and two of us at the Prince Charles Cinema have had hernias. Yeah. Uh, that is from usually from lifting the weight of the films, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it can be a tough one. I've I've worked. Uh, I've known a few guys who've had it we've been there and it's happened to them um so yeah that's like it's not particularly glamorous injury but it happens yeah. quite a lot
3: yeah i mean as someone who's helped carry some of those prints upstairs <laughs> over the years yeah. it, they are heavy And some cans, <laughs> heavy. heavy yeah. some of the cases have like you know so many reels yeah. in them and it's so ridiculously heavy you also get the the cases that have the dcps in them as well and you like oh, i feel like wide. that can almost Injure you just because you think you're going to lift something heavy and you're putting all this like exertion in, and then you just rip it up as
2: like throw it into the ceiling. An empty box. Uh, (laughs) I mean, nightmare scenario. Different types of film are heavier than others. Polyester is much lighter than acetate. The older films, like your pre nineteen ninety films, usually come on acetate. You get the odd polyester once it's lives through. And again, older ones sometimes turn up on acetate, but as a rule, the older films on acetate and they're heavy, man. And if you get a bunch of six reels of acetate in metal cans in a big plastic box is really heavy. I mean, really, it's like ridiculous. You can pick it up and you're just like, what? (laughs) Um, and then if you get, you know, six cans of polyester in plastic cans, much lighter uh but there you go it's uh it's all part and parcel so and you learn your lessons and then you learn to start splitting things and breaking things down into smaller piles mm. as you get older and fatter yeah. and more <laughs>
0: yeah you get you're asking up more and more for help even just yeah. trying to get the full the film yeah, so you on and off the floor
3: yeah i mean they're yeah, quite crazy i'll go into that in a little bit because i have a question about that but um one, one question here is a question. Which screen do you prefer screening films in, and why do you want to eat your dogs? Love, race, war. <laughs>
2: My dogs look delicious. <laughs> um, I can't help it if I've got tasty-looking dogs. And I mean, you know, if, if crunch comes to shove, Crunch comes <laughs> to shove? What? I think in this context what? that actually works. <laughs> if if Paul comes to punch Crunch. Um, and you know the lockdown carries on the way it is, if I have to eat a dog before no, I mean, you know <laughs> I would never eat a dog. I'm almost mm. I'm almost contemplating becoming vegan, you know. I couldn't eat a dog. Unless it was very naughty.
1: <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> Which screen do I enjoy showing films in more? It's probably the reverse of which one I enjoy watching films in the most. Putting films on in screen one is the place to be, basically. Mm -hmm. Putting 70 mil on in screen one is about as enjoyable as it gets, right? Because, you know, you're dealing with the big stuff. Um... So that's quite, like, you know, that's always a buzz. You've usually got a bigger audience in Screen 1, which, again, you know, you can get a buzz out of that, particularly if it's a lively audience or an audience that's responding a lot to what's going on, then, yeah. It's really great at the end of the film when you... Because, I mean, we have very little automation at our place, so everything is done manually, really. To be able to open the curtains, dim the lights, put the film on, you get that aspect of presentation and showmanship comes in. We don't have as much of that in screen two because we don't have the curtains and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, But putting, when it comes to the end of a film as well, when you're closing the curtains and putting the lights up on the very last image of a film and the audience is applauding, that's great in screen one, that is, because you're like, oh man, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, I know they're applauding the film, but you have the satisfaction of having done your bit in them having a good time that evening, you know, and them appreciating what they've got. So yeah, yeah that's nice. Screen 1 is definitely the place to be for that. On the flip side, I'd probably rather watch a film than Screen 2. Really? Yeah. Uh,
0: I'm a Screen 1 man. Screen 2
3: is, is comfy, man. It's a comfy screen, Screen 2.
2: It's Screen 2 is almost my perfect size auditorium because I understand the, um, the allure of the giant screens, right? Mm. Um, but I think whatever size screen you've got, once you've been sitting and watching for 10 or 15 minutes, you're always phased out anyway, you know? And so if it's a giant screen or a tiny screen, it doesn't really matter in that respect. As long as the image quality is good, that's what matters for me. And I like the vibe in Screen 2. Yeah. Um, Screen 1 is a much more... uh, The atmosphere in Screen 1 is great for certain films. I love putting Lynch films on in Screen (laughs) 1. You've got those red velvet curtains, you've got the red velvet chairs, you know, and you've got the drama of the space to actually play with the film as well. I remember putting a razor head on screen one, not on 35mm, by the way, before anybody jumps up and down and gets excited, but (laughs) there are any 35mm prints. But I remember putting a razor head going going down into the room and actually, you know, hearing it and feeling it in that actual space. And that's like going to church, you know Mm. what I mean? (laughs) Because it's like, you know, you've got that full sort of cathedral experience out of feeling something that's as engrossing an atmosphere as a razorhead is, or any of the other Lynch's movies for that matter. So, you know, it's it's different things for different moments, I suppose. But putting them on definitely screen one is fun. I enjoy using the projector in screen one more as well. It's a little more complex than the one we've got in screen two.
3: Well... You you salivating over your dogs while
2: talking about that has made
3: me say that uh, it's time for Snack Time. Snack Time.
0: Quarantine. Quarantine. It's Snack Time. Quarantine. Quarantine.
3: It's Snack Time. Lockdown. Although Phil has. I already ate
0: my fucking snack.
3: You ate your banana during this, so I guess I'm eating alone because I forgot to tell (laughs) Jamie, so I don't know if he prepared anything unless he wants to eat his dogs.
2: Do it. The dogs have gone out. They've gone
3: out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's been an hour and I thought we weren't doing it, so I ate the banana and I'm
3: sorry. You ate it within the first five minutes of us pressing record.
0: It's my fault but I am hungry. <laughs>
3: but I, I have a, I have, you, you brought Phil a couple weeks ago, the, uh, one of my go-to snacks during an all-nighter and I brought, I brought this week one of my others. Yeah. The Choco Yeah, I love that. libnitz How do you say this? I never know how to say it. The Choco Libnitz, which are just, Choco libnitz 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 They're more chocolate than biscuit. That's <laughs> <Ooh. laughs> ASMR, baby. Ooh. You haven't heard that in a few weeks, have you, Phil?
0: Ooh. No. Oh. Getting all excited.
3: <laughs> so I'm going to have one of these by myself and my lonesome um, while we move on. Unless if Jamie went and got a snack.
0: No. All right. Are, are you out of food? Do you have to? Uh, you can eat some dog food. I'd rather eat the dogs. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: That banana with my last bit of food, I have to go
2: back out to the shop now.
3: Sin food.
2: Hey, how, is, how, is, how is your choco living is, Jonathan?
3: Five out of 5 Five They're star good biscuit, man. First good biscuit. legitimate five-star for me on the podcast because it's such a good wow. biscuit. Good it is biscuit. a good biscuit.
2: biscuit. I'm a fan. All good right.
3: Fan. Moving on. Reese Tonks ask, and I I almost didn't put this in because it's silly, but then I was like, it's silly, so I have to put it yeah. in. Have you ever seen Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers?
2: <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah. Uh, Obviously. Is there, I mean, is there, a, is there a cinema reference in that?
0: I
3: have no idea.
2: <laughs> that, I mean, there are.
0: If there are no follow-up to that question? <laughs> That's
3: all they sent in, and I was just like, this is silly. I, I'm going to put it in.
0: I mean, oh, Chip man. and Dale are dressed like movie characters. They're dressed like Indiana Jones and but beyond that I don't know there was, there was a movie yeah I haven't I seen
3: it so like obviously probably since I was a little kid um, I do slightly remember that but I don't remember anything
2: about it I don't mean, let's, I mean make it, let's make it clear for our listeners that Jonathan was never a little kid I've <laughs> <laughs> yeah. seen those photos and Jonathan he came out like five like foot oh, yeah
3: no. he's not far so, off so, by man so, he's a beast I found a a baseball card of myself God. when I was a little kid, five years old, and I was already like four foot eight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Jason asks, what's the longest film you've uh, had to make up, and how long did it take to make up?
2: You know what, I, just the other day I came across a photograph of a 13 reel film, um, and 13 reels is un- uncommon. And I can't remember what the film was. It was a BFI print, um, and maybe it'll come to me in a minute and I'll recall what it is. Otherwise, you're probably looking at The Godfather 2. Yeah. Um, I mean, how long is The Godfather 2? Is it something like three hours and 20 minutes or something? It's long. Three and a half? Yeah. yeah. Um, Would it be one of the Kurosawa films? Maybe.
3: Like Seven Samurai, I know, is ridiculous. Seven
2: Samurai isn't the longest I don't think um uh, oh it's really it's like I might just have a quick check on my phone actually because that one that thirteen reeler, would definitely take the prize. I seem to remember those with most b f i issued prints, it was in really good condition, mm-hmm. and if a print is in really good condition then you can you can get them put together relatively quickly um Godfather Part 2 is huge. What else is really huge, though? I mean, we mentioned Titanic <laughs> earlier. That was a big one, to be fair. Um, and I saw a copy of the Titanic get dropped once Uh-oh. by two projectionists who were trying to move it. This is going back to the multiplex days. That was chaos. That was something <laughs> that you never want to see. Um, the uh, well, she's really wrong? Oh, gonna, th- I'm gonna carry on thinking about that question because there have been some monster prints that we, yeah. run. Um, Hamlet on 70 millimeter, yes. the Kenneth Branagh version of Hamlet was too big for our equipment to run. In truth, we got it, we did it, we got there, but it involved some manual holding of uh, of rollers and reels for the last half of each part just to get it to run. So it was a case of having to stand there while the film ran <laughs> through and actually hold one of the rollers up for it to run through it because the diameter of the film was so huge. It was bigger than our equipment could actually genuinely handle. But we got there in the end. Um, wow. For all 19 people who came to see it. however, <laughs> it. However, it. you know, totally worth it. I hope they had a good time with it because it looked amazing on screen. Yeah. What about, um, sorry, I just thought of two, like uh, Lawrence of Arabia. They're quite long, right? We do that on 70 mil, but we run it in two halves because it's got an intermission. Yeah, we're okay. lucky with that. But Hamlet, so, yeah. did Hamlet have an intermission? Hamlet, Hamlet did have an intermission, however. We did, skip. <laughs> No, however, the first half of Hamlet, I think, was something like two hours, 40 minutes. And the second half of Hamlet is like two hours, 10 yeah, so yeah uh, so even though it was split with an intermission because the 70 mil film on acetate is so much thicker than the 35 even though I know it's wider as well yeah. um, it takes up more space on the plates again and our maximum runtime should really only be about two hours 30 for 70 mil on acetate yeah uh, so you know it was a little bit longer uh, than we were anticipating it being and yeah that was nearly chaos that was um, the 70 milliwatts of of Arabia comes on polyester as well, because I don't think, I think there are acetate copies of it, the older ones, the older mag prints. But the BFI, I think, are loath to let them out. Um, um, so we've always run polyester versions, which are much sort of smaller and more lightweight.
3: Well, you kind of touched on this a little bit in uh, answering that question, but I just want to kind of like clear up things for listeners out there who might not be familiar how our system works and how projection systems can work. So uh, what all does it involve to make up a print at the PCC, noting that we have a platter system versus a two-projector changeover system?
2: Yeah, so we don't have a changeover system at the Prince Charles anymore. They used to when it was pure 35 mil. But our digital projector now occupies in both screens the space where one of your changeover projectors would have run. For a changeover system, you need two projectors, as you probably know if you're a big film fan, and that you run the first set of reels on the one projector and then flip to the next one. And then if necessary, when that second projector is done running, you go back to the first if you've got a long movie and so on. Um, We don't do it like that. We use what's called a cake stand uh, Mm -hmm. or a platter system, which if you Google, you'll get some groovy images of, um, where we make the film up onto a central ring into one giant reel, basically. Um, And then that reel plays through the projector and back onto a ring where it completes its journey as it started and as as a completely made-up reel. Um, And that means you don't have to do changeover basically because it just runs in one big continual and interrupted run the other method of doing that is on tower systems which I've worked with in the past and they're really scary because instead of sitting horizontally on the plate like a giant cake stand they sit on a giant spool vertically on either side of this central column on this central pillar and they call them tower spools and they're really quite intimidating because you've got these giant Metal spools spinning around and clanking and threatening to back to the injury question. The tower, <laughs> <Yes. laughs> they Don't were dying, straps, something in them. They were, you know, so it's like uh, the tower projector I used to work with, or the tower system I used to work with, was terrifying. Um, but yeah, so that's how we do it. So in each screen, we have one 35 mil projector and one digital projector. Um, yes. it is the use of the cake stand that allows us to do that. So all the films when they come in in their individual reels, we have to splice them together into one giant reel to play out without interruption. But it also means it's a touch more automated as well, which goes back to the point that it leaves us free to do other things while the film is running.
3: Cool. Uh quickly, Robert Beardsley,
2: he asks uh
3: most annoying slash comical breakdown, if you if any come to mind.
2: Uh you know, I can think of a few. I mean, before I worked at the Prince Charles, I had... Uh film which we just started where the actual masking fell down at the very start of the film (laughs) Um, so the masking at the top fell down and covered half of the screen and we had to go in and start pulling on it to pull it out of the way to get the film on that was really annoying because having to do anything in front of a room full of people like that is pretty you know stressful yeah especially as you know the heckling you as you go um At the Prince Charles, we've had some quite frustrating breakdowns. Um, Doing Hellraiser on 35mm with one of the actors who played one of the Cenobites in the house as he came to do a signing for us, that broke down on the first reel change because there was a bit of undetected stickiness on the film, which caused it to wrap around its own control unit and it caused a break. And uh, I was sitting watching that film when that happened, so I was particularly annoyed, you know. Um, But, you know, it was good because I was able to go up and help get it back on screen, so we got it on screen nice and quickly. I mean, every kind of breakdown of that kind of, like, where, you know, the audience has their film interrupted is always really sort of, like, uh, frustrating. But it can they can be funny as well, you know. We had one film where... uh, the plate just stopped taking the film up towards the end of it, and it was all just spooling onto the f- floor underneath the projector, and I walked in to find that, like a big plate of spaghetti gone wild. Um, I remember that. <laughs> and I just, you know, my very first instinct was to laugh because it was so horrifying, you know. It was just like, oh, my God. Um, So, you know, so all of them, there can be an element of sort of comedy involved when that does happen, because if you're not quick and you're not careful, you can end up doing some damage to the film or even damage to the equipment. So, yeah, um, can't think of many other specific occasions or titles where something like that's happened. Uh, Some of my colleagues have had real uh, comedy where films keep breaking. And that's the real nightmare, that is, because, you know, if you've got a really brittle old print or something and it just it breaks every sort of like 10 minutes, you get to the point where you're almost in tears. We had <coughs> once where we were showing, it was a 70 mil print, and I can't remember what it was. It might have been the old print of 2001, where, again, I remember our plate wouldn't take up. And we had to sit there manually spinning the plate for the first 20 minutes of the film to keep it I going. And that. then eventually yeah. it did. Because, you know, you get to the point where you're like, go on, go and get volunteers to come up and spin the plate for a bit so we can have a break. Yeah. Because you'd be surprised how tiring spinning a plate with film on it can get. But there you go. Yeah. yeah I
3: mean, it's kind of like going to a kid's playground and spinning a, you know, a little,
2: sure. whatchamacallit? A little roundabout. Uh, a roundabout. Yeah. Roundabout.
3: Yeah. Uh, Kevin Pybus asks, what film print would you most love to get your hands on? Is there any, oh, the, anything yeah, the out devils,
2: there? The Devils. The Devils. yeah. 35mm 30, The Devils, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, rumored, it's rumored that there is a pristine print of The Devils because it's never run anywhere. A pristine, uncensored, uncut print. Um, probably languishing somewhere in a Warner Brothers warehouse. (laughs) Um, And it's been rumoured that this exists and that it is known, but everybody denies it. So (laughs) you can't get anybody to admit to it actually really existing So we don't know whether or not this is folklore at this point, but I would really love to get my hands on that. I love The Devils. I think it's a great film. Um, Oliver Reed being the sex god that he is, Vanessa Redgrave being phenomenal as an actress, especially as an actress so young. She's absolutely remarkable in that film. And you've got all of Derek Jarman's crazy set design. I mean, that film, I would love to see that on 35mm. I mean, yeah. um, it's and its complete uncensored state. Um, other films, I've been lucky in that I've got to show a lot of films that I would really like to have shown on 35mm, stuff like Pulp Fiction, Blade Runner, you know, all the kind of typical sort of films you might think of. Working at a place like the Prince Charles Cinema brings all of those to us. So it's kind of like, it's really cool. It's one of the exciting things about working there, you know. It's always fun to whack on a Tarantino. It's always fun with the David vigilance prints that we show. So, yeah, I've shown a lot of them, but The Devils is the one that I still really would like to see. Uh, at the Holy Grail. Maybe one day.
3: Well, listeners out there, uh, keep the devils in mind because um, who knows, maybe in a couple of weeks we might be doing an episode about the devils. Would you like to come on for that as well, Jamie?
2: Or would that be with us, um, Mr. Smith? <laughs> 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 yes. Mr. Smith of the cure, yeah, obviously. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah, uh, no promises. Uh, no promises, you know, but maybe. Uh, but maybe, yeah. I mean, <laughs> again, I mean, just purely because, you know, it would be fun to talk about that with Rob. We've talked about it loads. Yeah. Um, so now that he's also a big fan and would like to see it on the big screen as well. And I mean, we could we could probably show you guys the digital version, right? Which is quite heavily censored. Um, and the censorship on that film isn't even justified really by today's standards. But uh, what would be the point, man? And
0: I yeah. mean, there we go
2: back to the pros and cons. We could whack it on. I'm sure that it would be easy enough. I think Park Circus hold the distribution rights for that. And the guys at Park Circus are really cool and would probably let us show the edited version. But, man, I think we like to think of ourselves as the kind of establishment that wouldn't bring you that compromise. You know?
1: Yeah.
2: And I, I, I'm down for that. I'm like, let's let's get the uncensored version out. And if there's any of you lovely people from Warner Brothers listening, You know, I guarantee you, (laughs) I guarantee you sell out shows of the dead on 35 brother, they just, you know. They hate money. They they do. They infamously hate money. Uh, (laughs)
0: Let's
2: get Oliver Reed back on the big screen, man.
3: Right, Jamie we're wrapping up here but uh, can I ask you if you can describe quickly like a typical working day at the in the projection booth at the PCC and what's your busiest day of the week you sort of touched on this a little bit but
2: uh, man,
0: wake chill. up vape <laughs> uh,
2: you know get to work bathe in ass's milk then uh, <laughs> you know once uh, once you've got the human skin back on properly <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, a typical day. It depends how you work it, really. If you're doing a full day, because we do twelve-hour shifts, or sometimes we do split, just evening shifts. In the first part of the day, you may come in, get everything booted up, powered on. You may rehearse things. Like there may be things like for private hires or for new DCPs that we haven't shown yet. We will always rehearse those so they get put out and put on screen before the start of the day. Just you know, just to check for anything obvious like oh, this film is actually in Latvian with no subtitles, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, or for possible errors with the DCP, it doesn't happen very often, but it can happen. We don't have the luxury of being able to rehearse our 35mm stock. So for the digital, you've got to do it, haven't you? Because it's the least amount of effort required. Um, so those are the kind of things you do in the first part of the day. You take a look through the servers and make sure you've got all your content for the day because digital weird things happen. Sometimes things have been known to glitch, go missing or files can become corrupt. Yeah. Um, Uh, Your typical day beyond that would be making up a film, putting the films on. Usually, I mean, this is kind of like what we say within the team for how we run things. On your average shift, you're going to come in, you're going to make a film up, you're going to break a film down because you're probably going to pack off the one that showed the night before if you're doing one film a day, which is often the average, and then you're going to show a couple of films. You know, It's not very often that we have a pure digital schedule very rare that it happens and when it does it's noticeable and you get to work and you're like, Oh, it's all digital today, I've got nothing to do really, you know, except for that there's always films to get ready for the next day. Yeah. So, you know, so in between actually starting the films up and finishing them and getting the shows on, that's usually what we're doing. We're usually getting the films ready for the next shows and then the ones after that. With the holy grail of being able to get all of your films for the next week ready. So you can have a cup of tea, sit down and relax because, you know, tea is a big deal in projection usually. Um, the busiest day of the week is, I mean, you've got two ways of looking at it because our weekends can be really busy, especially if you've got a lot of 35 on in the day. You can be showing all 35 million on one screen and then on another screen you could have single-ons going on yeah, or other interactive events going on which means you're going to be running from A to B all day long. Um, But Thursday is the day where the following week will be finalized on the schedule. And so Thursday is a hard day, especially if you're working all day, because you're going to be double checking everything's in, everything's prepped, everything's ready. We like to have everything ready at least a week in advance. It's not always possible. Sometimes you get 35mm prints on crossover from different sites and they won't turn up until the day before you're due to show them and stuff like that.
3: Sometimes even the day.
2: (laughs) It has happened. It's happened happened recently and that's like, yeah, less than ideal. But again, you know, all part of the fun of doing it really. Um, So, yeah, different kinds of busy. The quietest sort of moments tend to be whenever we don't actually have shows on. Goes without saying, I suppose, because that again is also when you do your maintenance and when you do your, sort of all your checks to make sure everything's in good working order. Um, so yeah, busy all the way through, really. Um, mm-hmm. In an ideal world, it would be lovely to have more staff on for each shift, but obviously, you can only give so much for a little place like us, isn't it. Yeah, we're, we're lucky to have the staffing levels that we've got, really.
3: Unicorn Ralph asks
2: <laughs> Wonder who that
3: What's your Jellico cat name? What's
2: your, what, what,
3: what, what, what? <laughs> your jellico cat name? Come like on. you haven't
2: thought about yeah, it. Come on, <laughs> <my God. laughs>
1: I don't know. I mean, I don't,
2: I don't know. <laughs> but it's like, I, how do I uh, answer? How do I, yeah, how do I answer? You guys, you tell me what's my jellyfish cat name. I mean, I've, I've not I've not seen the film
3: <laughs> I wasn't expecting I, you to turn it around on me. Now I feel bad that I didn't come up yeah, with a name but, for uh, you.
2: I do yeah. what, what, What's your jellyfish cat name, John?
3: Uh, Aquaboy three thousand. <laughs> <laughs> anything to make Philippe. you almost spit your tea out
0: i bet you Philippe. <laughs> yeah i'll just go by
2: that i'm not in the film i don't know you just go Philippe. yeah Philippe. that's it that seems like a cat name
3: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, last real question from a user and then one final question from me okay so this is from twitter this is from one voice one mic a long time listener and supporter of this podcast so shout out to them Uh, Go check out their podcast documentary called One Voice, One Mic Documentary. Uh, I think it's on Amazon. Uh, But yeah, can you see 8K projection becoming established within the next five years?
2: Honestly, no, I can't. Um, But then I remember I was asked this question about digital about a year before digital became the standard. And I said, (laughs) no, I couldn't see digital catching on either. So, you know, I'm quite fallible in my track record of questions like this. But (laughs) as it stands, 4K hasn't become the standard yet. You know, there are a few screens which are showing 4K on all of their screens. I mean, around the West End, we're probably spoiled for choice. And you find the same. Each multiplex chain probably has one 4K screen at each of its sites, you know. Um, Some of them have gone perhaps a little bit more overboard than that. But again, 4K isn't even the standard yet. So I can't see 8K becoming the standard in a hurry.
1: Um,
2: I mean, and again, I've not experienced 8K. I'd like to, um, because it could be brilliant. I'm quite a big fan of 4K. I do like it. Um, 4K UHD, which is something that most projectors can't manage. Um, is a beautiful thing to look at, you know. Um, how vital it is to the movie industry, I don't know, you know. I would probably suggest there's a greater chance of a growth in resurgence of analog film instead. Because when you you know, you're looking at that kind of cost balance of getting the 4K up and running, uh, getting 8K up and running and established in every screen, what are you really gaining in the long term that you couldn't gain by having really well-maintained, well-presented 35 million stuff, you know? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Personally, me personally, I don't think that's going to become the standard in a hurry. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think it will become the standard domestically either because, again, you know, DVD sales still outstrip Blu-ray, right? Yeah, people Uh, haven't even
3: converted yet.
2: Yeah, so it's like I don't see that taking off for of the home audience either. Um, but we'll see, you know. I mean, I think, uh, I think it will be a different innovation will be what comes next. And uh, for me, uh, something that, shout out to Paul, I share with Paul Vickery, our film programmer, is we're quite big on sound at this level, more than actual image, and feel that perhaps it's innovations more in how immersive the sound experience is that might actually be the next step and that the evolution of what comes after Dolby Atmos could be the exciting thing. And again, if anybody from Dolby is this thing who would like to um, you know, gift us with an Atmos system for our auditorium, that would be lovely. Um, because I mean for me personally that would excite me more than getting an 8k projector. You know, being able to upgrade the immersive level of the sound because immersive sound can make all the difference. So uh, 3D, mm-hmm. not the next big thing? <laughs> I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? Do you remember when they pushed yeah. for it and they really pushed for 3D to be the next yeah. big thing? And now it's almost been forgotten again completely and it's done as an afterthought. Exactly. You know? And a lot of people don't even bother, don't even like going to see... I actively 3D. avoid it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, most people do, yeah. So it's like, you know, it's, it it can be a fun gimmick. I think I saw The Force Awakens on 3D, you know, and it was like, hey. but then, you know, I've not seen any of <laughs> the others. In th- uh, it's like, forget it. You know, yeah. it's just like, yeah, it's a headache in a box.
3: <laughs> yeah. I've only recently seen 3D films that I've gotten like, you know, screener invites to through Paul, you know? So it's just like, you have no choice then you're just going to see something and it's 3d like you know x-men or sure or oh god what's the ang lee film that gemini Man most recently came out Gem- um, gemini man good god it was but that ridiculous. was like the I've frame rate right it
0: isn't was, it like 48 uh, frames yeah it was so crazy
3: yeah it looks so weird it was like you're watching like uh, a documentary almost it was like real life it looked like and it was so shaky there's certain scenes like where they're on a boat and you just feel like you're moving like if you have motion sickness issues you would have thrown up in that screening i think yeah that was what they did for the hobbit as well wasn't it yeah the hobbit i did that
2: at 48 uh frames yeah no again i don't think that's you know they're all gimmicks that don't really you know do they add to the craft of storytelling, you know do they because mm. I mean that is what it, when you strip cinema back to what it is, it's about telling stories, and if there's something you can do which adds to the storytelling great yeah you know and and for some things like an action blockbuster, having the great amount of detail of like four k or eight k can be really exciting. But again it's no substitute for the story, it's no substitute for delivering something to the viewer. Um so you know, that's uh that's the fascist <laughs> projector, the fascist view on things. <laughs> know, like don't give us more equipment, don't don't give us more stuff that's difficult to work with, you know. But no nah, That's really. very
0: little to laugh for though just like make better films.
2: <laughs> <laughs> totally though, you know. That's like it's where it's at. <laughs> yeah um, the story
3: is really important my final question here this uh for you jamie from myself and uh i think this kind of ties into a lot of stuff we talked about a little bit and just kind of what we were just talking about but where do you see the future of film projection and how important is it currently especially with the current climate where we're dealing with this pandemic a lot of these uh films that are coming out in cinemas are just going straight to home video or, you know, home home viewing sort of things just to keep the films out there. Uh, and it's, it's kind of scary coming from a cinema's perspective, like dealing with that. So how important do you think it is to keep film alive and to train young people up on the art of projection?
2: I think that's super important. And I think it's something that, you know, hopefully we can play our own part in doing as time goes on. Um, because, yeah, come another 15, 20 years, there are going to be very few people about who know how to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I believe it's really important that that flame is carried on. It is scary. Um, It's scary, especially when you take into account that people can have a quality cinema-level experience at home these days, you know, leading directly off talk about 4K, and sound systems, I've got a really great amount of gear at home. I can have myself brilliant presentations seen at home. But I think what cinemas like the Prince Charles Cinema and some of the other venues around the West End have proved without a doubt is that, you know, repertory cinema is about an experience which you can't get from seeing at home waiting for a film to come out. Because you're going to go and you're going to go and sit with an audience of people who are eager to see the thing that you want to see. You're going to be able to share that experience and empathize with one another. You're going to be able to hear the reactions, you know. All of that stuff, I think, is integral to cinema exhibition. And I don't think cinema will ever die. If cinema was going to die, it would have died by now already. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, that like the VHS revolution would have taken cinema down and for a while it looked like it was going to, but then you had the resurgence because people realised that what you're actually dealing with is a very different thing, man, and going to see a film with an audience is a very, very different thing. Um, So, you know, I think the audiences that come to the Prince Charles Cinema have taught me that at least, that, you know, you see the passion people have got for coming and seeing one of their favourite films on the big screen for the first time, maybe, you know? you got a whole new generation of people who were kids when Pulp Fiction came out, and they love to come see a a Tarantino film, you know, on film for the first time ever, because they were too young when it first came out. And then you go back to all the other classics (laughs) further and further backwards, you know? Yeah. Um, And that applies, and people will come out in numbers to watch a film, and you'll be like, Really? You know, it'll be sometimes it can be really surprising. We had one recently and I was like, Oh, no one's gonna come and watch that. And then you turn around and you've got a full house because you know it's somebody's favourite film. Yeah. So yeah, I think the appetite is there without a doubt. And I mean I think, you know, that's where our strength as a cinema lies. And it's part of the fun of working for the Prince Charles, you know. Um, because Christ, you know, come and see something that you've only ever seen on DVD or Blu-ray or VHS. If it's
3: done <laughs> 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 Yeah. Nice. Well, Jamie, I, I appreciate it so much. I thank you for taking the time to come on, go through this. Hopefully this is uh seen as full of knowledge of uh for people out there listening to this and uh they get something out of it. And uh yeah, it's well, good to have not. you on. Otherwise it's a big <laughs> goal, isn't it? I mean,
2: educational this and is fun. Somebody vaguely northern <laughs> to I mean, uh nah, it's a, it's a pleasure to come on and chat, man, especially, you know. In these weird times, yeah, and it's been particularly appreciative, a big thank you really to all our audience man isn't it, because yeah. the love that they've shown for us just lately let's not make John cry on like you know' on call, but it is quite overwhelming, man, to see how much people appreciate the efforts that we've made over time, and that's struck me really hard because it's like you know there have been evenings where I have been in these TP in film, cursing the fact that it's my job. To know that people appreciate that is really, really something, you know. So we'll look forward to opening the doors back Absolutely. up. Isn't I? Yeah, I can't and getting wait the first phone back on, man. We'll see you all there for whatever the first crazy phone. <laughs> I mean, back if on you close phone. your eye, and, like you're there right now. <laughs> <I mean.
3: laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Jamie, thanks so much for coming on. Um, I don't know if you got anything out there that you're doing in your free time that uh, you, <laughs> like, doing, you want like, I'm to see people doing.
2: I'm compiling a recipe of a, a book of recipes for dog <laughs> um, because I think it's really important, you know, that we look at alternative protein um, because in another year's time, you know, the whole like supermarket chain might have collapsed. Yeah. So, you know, um, but no, I mean, I'm just a big waster really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing. I will pimp, uh, I'm a big fan of Mubi at the moment, talking about yeah. not being able to go to the cinema. Uh, Mubi have got some good offers on in terms of trial and deals. And they show a lot of really good films. Yeah, they do. I've, uh, great. I've been enjoying the Vengeance trilogy on nice. Mubi. So that's been like, that's my last batch of films that I've been watching. Because um, <laughs> that was, again, that was the last film that I showed, was Mr. Simply... <laughs> <laughs> And Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, which <laughs> uh, is probably yeah. in my top 10 favorite films. Um, I think the Vengeance trilogy as a whole is in my top 10 of favorite yeah, films. Definitely. And it was fun to be able to show that on the last night, last screening. So I had to catch up and watch the rest. But hopefully we'll get those on screen for you guys once we, uh, once we get the doors back open.
3: Yeah, definitely. And speaking of that, we are looking to get a lot of these films back on that are getting canceled uh, right now because of the pandemic. We're we're looking to get them back into the program. Uh, Particularly today, the day we're recording, it's Rex Manning Day. So happy Rex (laughs) Manning Day. We will be looking to get Empire Records back in. I know people have been asking about that and stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, just keep an eye out on the Prince Charles Cinema Be sure to support us, get a membership, get a gift voucher, do whatever you can. If you can't afford it yourself, tell a friend that might like the Prince Charles Cinema, tell them to get a membership or buy one for a friend, whatever you want to do. Uh, also, you can always hit us up at the PCC podcast on Twitter and Instagram and you could always send us an email at podcast at Prince Cinema, Cinema.com. I really appreciate all the people who reached out and gave us questions for Jamie today it's really nice to have things to talk to him about <laughs> that weren't just questions I put forward even the jokey ones um, that you probably realized who these people are that <laughs> ask these questions <laughs> uh, but yeah it was a good time um, if you want to hit us up on patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast uh, every week we give this podcast out for free, weekly. It's a lot of work, even during this time where I'm not really doing as much stuff. But if you want to support us, you can hit us up. Once a month, we give you a bonus episode. Uh, and this month, we're working on something that's going to be a doozy. But we already have three really good episodes, including Uncut Gems, a breakdown of the awards season, and we also have uh, a Showgirls episode with Arianne on there and it's one of her favorite films so yeah if you want to hit us up on patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast you can do that Phil where can people find you <laughs>
0: uh <laughs> sorry distracted um but right now little private guy date with Jamie obviously have to follow um just otherwise I think it's gonna explode over there um does it matter I don't know I'm self-isolating I'm at home you find me at home or on Twitter You're at home. um
3: yeah far away side far away side boy. <laughs> yeah and you can find me at tall far all T-A-L-L, the number four A-L-L, on twitter instagram and facebook so yeah this is us wrapping up this is a very good time uh, thanks <laughs> yeah. jamie thanks phil keep having fun yeah rocking in the free world